Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 551, and I'm joined today by Andrew Haig. I was so excited about this podcast. I was a huge fan of 45 years. I think it's genuinely a modern classic. Andrew's a film director, if you don't know. And then I saw he had a new film coming out, All of Us Strangers, with just an amazing cast. Andrew Scott, Paul Mescal, Jamie Bell and Claire Foy, essentially. So I was hugely excited about that. And then I saw a preview of it. And so as this podcast comes out, it comes out on Friday. It's going to be in my films of the year at the end of 2024. I adored it. Loads of you all know as as an actor, as a, a writer myself, and as someone who's had you know, a film in development for a while to be a director too. I'm a huge nerd for this stuff. And Andrew Haig is one of the people I nerd out over the most. I really enjoy the way he approaches the craft. So to get to sit down and have a chat was a massive buzz. And then it absolutely delivered. I had a wonderful time. You will hear at one point, Andrew talks about his kind of, his casting process often rather than auditions being or more so than auditions being sitting down and having a conversation with someone you know finding out if you're on the same wavelength you can probably hear me grinning because as you can imagine Andrew is someone I'd love to work with and now we've sat down and had a conversation for an hour and found that we're on the same wavelength (laughs) so when that opportunity comes down the line we could just fucking get straight in there you know Easy peasy. Yeah, I think you're going to really enjoy this. If you're not familiar with the works of Andrew, which include the fantastic series called The North Water. I don't think we talked about The OA at all. He directed two episodes of The OA, which I adored. But um, 45 Years is is just is, is something else. I reference, I give a quote. Actually, I don't think I explained it properly. I read out a quote at one point, and you can probably hear that I'm reading a quote, and it's from Andrew's film Weekend. Uh, a character, I can't remember if it's Russell or Glenn, who say it in Weekend. But yeah, most importantly of all, as I've said, I think Andrew has made some modern classics. And as I'm scrolling now and looking on IMDb, the highest rated film of his is All of Us Strangers, and that comes out on Friday. So check it out. We are brought to you as ever by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's where you can get all my merch. You can support the podcast and look cool. Uh, we may not be for you, and that's fine. Range of stuff is always popular. We've got hats, T-shirts, jumpers, all sorts of good, good. You can also support by going to patreon.com forward slash pip. That's where I give a lot of kind of, you know, I'll have some chats every now and then some some preview moments and twitch.tv forward slash scrubius pipio um that's where you can come and hang out chat enjoy yourselves on instagram there's a pips twitch clips channel which i highly recommend you follow uh it's good fun and it will give you a little preview of what's going on on twitch it's not all just playing computer games sometimes it's computer games a lot of the time it's other stuff it's watching things on youtube it's chatting it's it's engaging so anyway let's get on with the podcast because this is episode 551 of the distraction pieces podcast with the wonderful andrew haig this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction 
here today with Andrew Haig. How are you, sir? I'm very good. It's nice to be here. It must be nice to be here, right? Because there must have been a point in the production of this that you weren't sure if you were going to get to talk about it because of the writer's strike and the actor's strike. I know I caught the first time Andrew and Paul could talk about it, like, in person, because it's been a weird time for making a film. You slave, particularly at that period, you slave over it for years, and then you in that kind of limbo of, am I going to get to tell anyone about this? Well, it's a weird one, because not only did that happen with the strikes, but also when you make a film in general, normally, you're still not sure that anybody's going <laughs> to want to talk about it. Yeah. And sometimes people are very interested in what you do, and sometimes, even if they like the film, for whatever reason, it doesn't sort of break out enough that you actually get to talk about it. Yeah. So over the course of my career, I feel like sometimes I've spoken a lot about certain projects, yeah. and other times it's a struggle to get people to want to talk about them. So... That has been a really nice surprise for this, that everybody does seem to want to talk about it. And then there was the strike. Uh, luckily, the writer's strike ended just as I was doing the premiere in Telluride, so it meant that I could start to talk about it. But then I was concerned that, oh, my God, the actors, it's just going to be me the whole time, yeah, boring everybody. But luckily now the actors can actually uh, have a conversation about it. Well, I think the actors are amazing and they speak amazingly, but I'm very excited to talk to you specifically because I think 45 Years is a modern classic and I think you've done it again with all of us strangers. But talking about whether people will want to talk about it or see it. Again, the biggest struggle of independent cinema, you can make a perfect film. I've, I've talked in length with Paddy Considine about this, on mic and off mic, you can pour your heart into it and no one goes to see it. I want to read you a little quote from a character called Glenn. The problem is no one's going to come and see it because it's about gay sex. So the gays will come because they want a glimpse of cock and they'll be disappointed <laughs> and the straights won't come because, well, it's got nothing to do with their world. They'll go and see pictures about refugees, murder or rape, but not gay sex. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> That's obviously from your film uh, Weekend. It's in 2011. Do you think that's changed a lot now? I think it's definitely changed. Yeah. Like, it has changed, without a doubt. The world is very different than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I still don't know if necessarily it's changed quite as much as we like to think it's changed. Yeah. So I still don't think people would necessarily... There's a lot of straight people that aren't racing to the cinema to see a film with, with gay people in it. Yeah. So I still think it's not quite the same. And I, and I understand it as well. There's so much out there. There is so much to see. Yeah. And you have to make decisions on what you think is going to speak to you. And so I think I'm a little bit softer about it all now than mm -hmm. I was back uh, 11 years ago when I made Weekend when I was furious and angry about everything. Yeah. And now, maybe it's just because I'm 50 and you realise that, you know, time is limited. Yeah. And you're like, well, maybe I just, maybe there's other things I would prefer to see. So I'm, I'm probably a little bit more generous now and don't automatically see it as homophobia. Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, I think something I talk about a lot, like, like as an actor who's got a, st a stammer and I've never played a character who's got a stammer, representation is important partly because of representation, because of fairness, because of this. But I think we're seeing in recent times, it's important just for quality of f f films. Because with the greatest respect, like straight white people have made a third Ghostbusters reboot, which I'm excited for, genuinely. <laughs> I, I enjoy it, but ideas are running thin. Whereas it feels like we're in a golden era. For me, it feels like we're in a golden era of queer cinema. Because in this year, past like 12 months alone, we've had Passages, Blue Jean, Rotten in the Sun, Bottoms, Femme, all, all of Us Strangers, all really completely different films. Like, none of those are really that similar at all. But 
all so exciting and so, and so engaging. And I think it's because it's voices that have maybe previously been kept from the mainstream of cinema. So, so do you feel there's, you know, exciting stories to, to be told there as well as, you know, representation? I do. And it's interesting that all of those films, they are all very different, yeah. which is what is so exciting about them. And they're 100%. also not pandering to a mainstream audience. They all seem to feel like they're making films you know, the films that they want to make, they are making. Yeah. They're not saying, oh, we need to tone this down or we need to tone that down. They're being really, really honest, which is the kind of films that I love to watch. And that's what I'm actually really excited about, yeah. that, that is that is happening. And look, I'm the same as you. Like, representation is is fundamental and vital and you can you can, you want to see yourself reflected on the screen or someone that's similar to you on the screen. But more than that, it's just seeing different stories. And yeah. That's, that's what I love. It doesn't have to be my experience, but if I feel like it's an authentic experience of someone else, then I'd like to see that portrayed on screen. Yeah. It doesn't have to be about my life or yeah. anything to do with me, but that's what I that's what I love about certain films and, and elements of cinema. Yeah, I agree. And I think the representation thing, I'm, I'm, I'm on this kind of path a lot recently because it's been something I've been, been thinking about a lot with working with the British Stammering Association, things like this, but representation is also for those who just aren't exposed to these things a lot. And one of the things that made me wriggle with excitement in my seat when watching all of us strangers was, so I'm I'm boringly straight, um, but I've always had a lot of gay mates. And before doing the podcast, I interviewed a friend of mine just about his coming out and about his, his, his sexuality because I just wanted to know, like these, the podcast has allowed me to have conversations you don't just have with your pals. So that was kind of the stepping stone for that. But one thing that, from where I'm from, again, a working-class area in Essex that's f- f- very sh- sheltered f- f- from these things, the scene in the bath really touched me um, between Andrew and Paul's characters and the openness of inquiry of if one was in to bum, to, to anal, to bum stuff, to anal <laughs> sex, which, again, my growing up was, well, that's mm. what gay people like, isn't it? Mm. And just actually get making gay friends. Like, no, some do some same with straight people. Some do, some don't. So I guess, are you intentionally trying to put things in that will kind of educate people as well? Or is it just, no, these are the natural conversations. It's, I didn't know you'd be surprised at that kind of yeah, thing. That's a really interesting question. I think it is both. I think it's yeah. a bit of both. I'm always frustrated how, when I see a depiction of gayness or gay sex or gay yeah. people, I'm always like, you're not really telling the truth about something. Yeah. And I'm always amazed how little people understand about queerness yeah. and, and specifically about gay sex sometimes. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's sort of what you think we do. And that isn't always what we do. And sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. And and so I'm always intrigued about this. Comment. I remember when Weekend came out and a lot of people would come up to me and said, oh, I didn't realise that you could have, um, that men could have penetrative sex facing each other. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, really? People don't think that? And that's depicted says, really beautifully in passages this year as well. Yeah. Like some of the sex scenes in that are so beautiful. And it's done. Yeah. Stuff like that. And it's like, oh, God, literally people don't know what happens. And then you have to sort of think about, okay, what is the idea that they think about when they think of gay sex? Mm. And it's wrapped up in something that I don't think is what gay intimacy and sex is about. It's basically, I think a lot of people still think of it about power and domination and a certain yeah. position and all kinds of things that are happening. And I think that that's not my understanding of, of actually what happens for most queer people. Yeah. So I definitely like the idea of sort of unpicking some of those little things and getting them out into the world because it is about being known. 
And I think the film is about somebody trying to be understood by his parents, but mm. also by the person he's falling in love with and that person to understand him. And I think being known is so important. Like it is the way to yeah. escape loneliness is to be known. Yeah. And if you can have conversations with people, that you're right, like a podcast is a way for two people to talk about things and you come away from that understanding each other better. Mm. And I think that films are the same thing. You are having a conversation with the audience and you are hoping that that audience come away seeing the world a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah, completely. Well, I mean, we've talked about how, you've just touched upon how these discussions can inform us. One of the things that I think that I marvel over in your work is your ability to get across the unspoken and the silences. And again, it's fascinating because, and don't get me wrong, your dialogue's amazing. But it's these things that you realise, particularly in relationships and particularly two people alone together, so much is unspoken and so much is unsaid, particularly the longer a relationship goes on. And I think you really get that across amazingly. And I want to kind of know what, what that looks like. like. What does it look like on the page? Mm. And then what does it, how much of it is in in the room, in the cast, in, in, those, in those relationships? Mm. A lot of it is on the page. Like when I'm trying to work out a scene... I am trying to work out always that what is the character trying to express? What is the character trying to show the other person? And I think I think a lot about it. I think especially maybe like British people, <laughs> so much of how we communicate is through the unsaid yeah. or it's through the meaning behind an actual sentence or when we take the piss of someone, we're actually meaning something very tender and, and friendly and delicate and sweet underneath it. I think we're we're always saying something else all the time. And so I'm always trying to work out, okay, what is that? What does someone do with their hand, which, you know, in the way that they touch someone that contradicts what they're saying or what they're not saying, whatever it is. So I'm very, very careful about, in the script, trying to understand the physicality of the scene Mm. and what people are doing. And then it is about allowing the actors to bring that to life. And it is about giving them the space, even with the shot, to allow that to unfold. So, you know, it's it's when you choose to cut. I always, when I'm editing, it's like I usually end up staying longer on someone than you might normally stay on them mm. in a shot, for example. Because it's like, well, look, there's something happening after they've said that line of dialogue that they're doing with their eyes or their face or a gesture with their uh, hands. That is saying something about the thing they've just said. So I'm always yeah. looking for those moments that sort of poke through the scene. It's beautiful, the bits that come once they've got their, their lines out the way. Like when the acting stops as such can be yeah. such a beautiful thing. Yeah, because I think even when you're an actor, you're not always thinking about what is happening subconsciously in the performance or in the character. I mean, obviously some actors do a lot of the time, but things always emerge. Mm. And I, I always feel like it's moments of vulnerability that emerges. Like someone can say a line and it's actually affected the actor on a fundamental level too, yeah. as well as the character. Yeah. And you're seeing some element of vulnerability. And I'm always looking for those moments of vulnerability because they are the things that show the audience what's happening like yeah. that's that's the moment that i care about not the moments of strength it's the moments of vulnerability yeah i love that well, well can we talk a little bit about about editing because before i moved into acting and podcast and everything else i was in i was in, in music and i directed a, a load of music videos that i got a lot of of credit for but something that was never really on the that the public got to see was the editing side of it. A lot of them I edited, and they're some of my most beautiful memories of just 
losing myself mm. in an edit for like t- time stops mm. time stops i forget i'm alive i forget to eat and go to the toilet and all sorts of stuff because you can get lost in that and you obviously started off editing um you edited a lot of your early stuff and then you work with with jonathan alberts on on stuff as well talk to me about that part of the process because we we see a lot about the director the man on set who's pulling all the strings and not so much mm. of what goes on in that dark room mm. yeah it's so fascinating because it is you're so right I can get in in the morning, and I'm always there, basically. My editor goes crazy, but I'm always there. Like, yeah. even if I'm just letting him work away, I, I like to be in the room. But, yeah. you know, you're there at 9 o'clock in the morning, and you often leave at 9 o'clock at night, and you're like, where has the day gone? I don't yeah. understand where the day has gone. It's just vanished. And you can spend hours and days and weeks on a scene. You can constantly be deconstructing it and putting it together in a different way. And the slightest change can completely alter the emotional effect of the scene. And then the hardest, I do find it hard in the edit. I really do, because you it's so easy to lose any objectivity. You have no idea if something's working anymore. You've yeah. seen it a hundred times. And you're like, well, I'm not feeling anything from this scene. So have we done something to the scene that is now stopping the emotion come out in the right way? Or is it just I've seen it 20 times? Yeah. Am I numb now? Am I numb to it? And of course, <laughs> you are numb to it. And you never get back those first viewings. So it's really difficult. And I can find it very, if I'm honest, it creates a lot of anxiety. And the closer you get to basically showing it to people, the execs, you know, all those people that then have ideas and notes Mm -hmm. and thoughts, and then closer to getting to final cut, you're like, oh God, now this is going out into the world. Have I done everything I can do? Are there other takes that I haven't discovered? Are there other moments? Because you could edit for the rest of your life on one film yeah. forever. I could yeah. still be editing this film now if I hadn't been sort of, you know, made to stop or feel like now's the time just to move on. I, I always re- remember recording a track with Steve Mason of, of the, the Beta Band and other things. And, <laughs> and we recorded it in his studio in Scotland. Like I arrived in the night and we just were in this studio for like 12 hours. And then we we're like, I think we're done. And I'm going to drive back. And I'm, I was driving back to... Essex and I remember about four hours in he rung me and I was like I know you're not sure are you because it's a really odd track it's about fame but it's repositioning it in a very odd way and I was like I was just he 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 basically rung to say was that shit because we (laughs) because in that in in those 12 hours we were in such a cocoon that we're like we think we've made something amazing and it was like I had around the same or about an hour before him I'd had the feeling of have we just wasted, like, mm. we think we've made something amazing, we think if we just waste it, but I then got back round to thinking it's amazing when he rang. So do you and, and Jonathan go go back and forth on that at all, where totally that's the person go, who's totally, like... Totally, yeah. And it's also like, it's so interesting, because <laughs> when have you overworked it? Because I yeah. think that's a real yeah. key. Like, there can be a magic sometimes in a scene when you don't even really know why it's working. Yeah. And then the more you start to intellectualise it, and you think, well, is that the right choice like you know um, uh, should I have done something different here or should we make this clearer you can then start to fuck it up basically by overworking it until it suddenly all the sort of the magic suddenly deflates and you're like I don't know what's happened now or you could cut a scene technically this should be better exactly (laughs) or you do a scene like well that's it we've done it like this is brilliant we're in all the moments we should be in the moments when we should be there and then you watch it and you're like yeah but I'm not feeling an oddness or a strangeness that was actually quite magical. In this film, there's a lot of things that you're like, you're trying to make the audience feel slightly discombobulated, floating yeah. above something. And so it was, it's, it's really tricky. And then you sort of, 
you put it aside. I think when you're in that situation, Jonathan is very good at being like, we've just got to stop. Let's move on, go to another scene, let's mm-hmm. put that aside, and we'll go back to it. The worst is when you're absolutely convinced you've done it. You've got like, the opening is sorted, right? We're fine. We know we've got it. Finally, we got it right. And then you go look at it in three days and you're like, oh shit. What the fuck were we thinking? Yeah. Like, that's completely not right. It's so clearly not right. Yeah. But I think it's really important, isn't it, that you go down those paths mm. and you follow those routes and you go down things that really might not work, but you've got to see if they work and see if they're interesting. Like, do some strange montage in a certain scene because it feels like it could work and then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You can always go back. Yeah, I completely agree. And again, it's it's getting that indescribable thing in there. It's not It's not a technical thing. I said, particularly with all of us strangers, there is just this air and this these feelings mm-hmm. of mild confusion. Mm-hmm. Me, me and my brother discuss a lot the, the modern, particularly... British and American obsession in film and TV with tying everything up in a bow and explaining everything. And the way that we describe it is you can go to an art, art gallery and you can love a painting and not know why, not know anything about it. And I think European cinema still holds on to more of that, but I think a lot of cinema walks away from that. Mm. I think you're great at that. I think there's so much mm. in in all of your work that you do leave questions in there. You do leave, but not in a in a in a lynch way. And again, I always anger people because I'm, I'm convinced Lynch does a load of stuff and then allows his audience to, to find the reason for it. And then goes, yep, yep, that's what I mean. <laughs> that's why I was doing not that. Not in that yeah. way. Like, leave gaps there that in the world clearly have an explanation. We've just not turned the camera onto it, yeah. if you know what I mean. So exactly. how important is that, I guess? Of And again, that, that might come in in the edit. Mm. That might come in in the script on going, how much do we need to lead people along on this? And how much mm. do we need to just... Sh- show them something. Yeah, I think that's, that's very true. It's almost about like, I want you to feel. And if you can feel something, that's more important than, mm. than, than like tying everything up or have some kind of logic. I also think that the minute you tie something up in a bow, let's say, it's over. You're done. The film's done. It's yeah. finished. It's done. It doesn't exist in your mind anymore. And it is a bit like a song. Like a song, I love songs. That, I mean, I love a like, you know, 12 minute song. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That sort of goes to places where you're like, is it not over yet? Oh, no, it's not. It's coming back again. It's doing something else. So I can listen to like, you know, a 30-minute song that just is endless. And I sort of love the way that it oscillates and, and, and moves and changes. And then you finish and you're like, what have I just listened to? Yeah. And that's what I want a movie to do. I want you to come out of the cinema and be like, I know I've watched something that sort of makes sense. I'm not like, what the fuck is this? But at the same time, it's leaving it percolating. It's making it continue on in your head. It is like a dream. Like, you know, you wake up from a dream and you're like, it sort of has got a beginning actually in the middle and an end. But I don't really understand fully what it's about, but I know that it's made me feel something. I Mm. feel afraid or I feel sad or I feel happy, whatever it might be, but I'm not entirely sure why. And so I, I like that. And it's so funny. When I was at school, uh, a teacher said to me, you've got um, an English teacher, my English teacher said, you've got really good ideas, Andrew, but you're not very good at expressing yourself. And I actually think that that is, a, is now a bonus, <laughs> not, not a hindrance. And I was always like, I'm trying to be clear. Why am I not getting my ideas across? And now I've sort of lent into that. Yeah. Because it's all right that your expression of your ideas feels more like an exploration than it does a treatise yeah. on an idea. Yeah. And that's what I like the films to feel like. And I love seeing other films that do the same thing. And I'm like, I don't really know what the conclusion is to that. But yeah. I know that it's doing something. Yeah. I, again, I think I, I spoke with with Emerald of Fennell about this and how 
often with modern critics, there's a demand for what are you trying to say with this film? And and she's very much like, I'm not. Mm. I'm making a film. I'm making a piece of art. I want you to feel things. Mm. I'm not trying to come. I'm showing you something and going, look at this, rather than going, I've solved a problem, guys. Yeah, because it's always like, you know, I've been in so many sort of Q&As and interviews and stuff, and it is, it's like, what do you want people to take away from the film? It's such a big question. And I understand the question. I really do understand why someone asked that yeah, question. Of it makes complete sense. And then often you end up like intellectualizing what you are trying to get people to take away from the film. And in reality, it's so much more complicated mm. than that. And often you sort of, you know what the themes are that you're trying to explore in the film. I know what the things are that interest me, but I'm trying to explore them within the film. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying this is what the film is about. It's like, I'm exploring very complicated, messy emotions that I'm trying to understand, which is why I make films to start with, is to try and understand those things. Yeah. I don't have the answer. Yeah. You know, I don't have the answer. But I, I love how much of that comes in in, in post-rationalising. Like, I've currently got um, a film in development and there's so much kind of in pictures in that that I'm explaining all of this. I'm like, well, the reality is I just want to tell this story. Mm. But to get it over the line, I've now over-intellectualised it. The yeah. point I'm trying to make is this and what I'm trying to get across is this. It's like, no, I just want to tell my little story. Yeah. Just that's all it is. But I can't walk into you and say... Got a little story I want to tell. Yeah, and they to want to say, and they ask, "What's it like? Give us some other films that you that it's like." And you're like, "Do I really have to give you other versions of something that this is the film that it is?" Yeah. And you often end up writing. I mean, I've written a lot of scenes in my films in the past that aren't in the final film mm. because they're there because the reader needs to understand more. Yeah, and you realise that you're like, well, no, you're not going to need that. But then you put them in, and because you know you want to get the film made, to get, to get it over the line, you've got to get it over. The, and yeah. sometimes you put more explanation in there. You need to put in the script. You put lines of dialogue, and then you know you're probably not even going to shoot. And if you do shoot, they're not going to be in it. But sometimes you just have to get it across the line. It's amazing, isn't it? The again, as much as I kind of I sound as if I'm I'm bemoaning it i'm fascinated by the the dance at play between art and commerce and in this industry because it is a commercial industry it is a huge there's loads of money involved but most people or the best people involved in it are just trying to make art Mm. and it's it's finding that dance because it in my younger days i would be far more well no the art is the art is this in as i get older it's like well I get to make the art if I make this concession. If that concession doesn't change this, or as you say, if I can trick them yeah. <laughs> into doing this, I get yeah. to make the art I want to make. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't expect people... I mean, look, I don't expect people to give me $10 million yeah. Yeah. to make something just on a, on my desire to make it because I want to make a piece of art. Like, yeah. I do understand it. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of money, you know, or whatever the budget of a film might cost. It's a lot of money. And so you have to understand that it's not just for you you're making something that is for the cinema, that is yeah. going to an audience. And so you sometimes have to make... It's not even concessions, is it? It's just like trying to understand. There were lots of... There were stories that I would like to tell that I would never be able to tell because nobody is going to want to pay for them because <laughs> no one's going to go and see them. Right, <laughs> and yeah, I yeah. get that. It's yeah. like, well, what can you do? I can't... I mean, what am I going to do? Yeah. So you have to try and find the stories that speak to you, that are personal and feel like you can tell... You know, you can, you're exploring something but also warrant someone giving you money to to make them. I think you're right in kind of 
correcting the word concessions there because when those things do come together, it's a buzz, right? Absolutely. When there's an idea that you're so passionate about, but then also it sits on the right level of the commercial side of it, that's even more exciting because then you're like, oh, this... This could yeah. be something that I would be excited to walk in and see in a cinema. Yeah, and it's fascinating. You do it a lot, you know, with, with, it always happens. It's like, and I speak to some younger filmmakers and they're like, I'm furious that I've been given notes by people. And mm. you're like, you can't be. Yeah. You've got to take notes from people, from execs, from people. And like some of them are really good yeah. and some of them are not good. And, and you have to decide what works. And you've also got to understand that there's no point making something if none of those people are going to want to support it. Yeah. Like you need, like, I'm really happy. I feel like, you know, the people that have made this film with me care about the film. And because they care about the film, they want to get it out into the world in the best way they can. So it's me working with them in a way that we all care about it. Yeah. You can't just be against everybody because in the end, you'll never make another fucking film. Everyone will be like, no, do you know what? You're too difficult to work with. Yeah. And it's just like you've got to understand that it's not just you that is doing the film. It is other people. But that doesn't mean you can't be true to what you want. I don't feel like I've actually made concessions on this film. I feel like the film is the film I wanted to make. Yeah. But it's also the film that other people wanted to make Yeah. at the same time. That's a beautiful a, a balance. I was told once on the podcast that casting your life correctly is key. Because then if the people that you're getting... the the notes off of the people you respect and 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 love then there's no bad notes it's exciting it's it's positive i'm 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 lucky that i'm at that early stage where and i happen to have been in the industry on the acting side for a while that at the moment i only share any scripts with people that i know for a fact are better than me mm. yes yeah. <laughs> so it's one of them is yeah. like i'd love your notes i'd yeah. love your advice because you can really go yeah no the Here's what here's what doesn't work. Here's what does. That's, yeah. That's and in the early thing. days, I was really insecure about giving things to. And still, yeah. actually, I'm 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 not very good. I'm getting better. But with like early cuts of the film, I'm mm. very protective of who yeah. I show it to. I don't show it to lots of people. And I've got other filmmaker friends who show me the cuts of their films. Yeah. And they're quite open about it. I still have this resistance, and that is my own fear and insecurity bubbling to the surface. It's like oh, I don't want you to think that it's not good because I want you to think that I'm a good filmmaker. So I. I still I, I'm aware I still have my fears yeah and when I first send it to producers and then you send it to execs it's like oh god and we did a preview for this film which I've never done before and it was pretty terrifying an experience I was like oh no I do not I'm not enjoying this 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 thing but the bigger the film gets the more you have to accept that you're going to have to do it you see I don't I don't like being on on the other side of that and I've I, I mentioned this in an interview once but I worked on a show called Taboo with Tom Hardy and Stephen Graham, who who was yeah, in, yeah. In, in, yeah. in the North, which I thought was amazing as well. And Tom would send me early cuts every now and then. And I had to kind of ask him to stop because I'm like, no, I want to see it when it's finished. Because if I wasn't in it, I would be going to see a show that's got Tom Hardy and Stephen Graham just so written true. by Stephen, all these things. It's like, I want to see the finished version. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see these I don't want to see all those early cuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's also hard one. to watch early cuts. Like, yeah. even when I make films, yeah. as you know, and you watch an early cut and you're like, ooh, is it not working because of it's an early cut or yeah. is it just not working? So yeah. I'm never very good at actually giving notes to other people. Yeah, I'm terrible like, at it. I worst. never would show it to my partner, who I've been with for years. I wouldn't show it to him until it was done. This yeah. is the first time I've shown, like, the first cut to my partner. 
Wow. You know, and usually I've like kept it, and it's been helpful actually, much more helpful just to relieve one extra added stress. It's a big moment. Congratulations! I just want to say good good work on getting to that point. <laughs> finally, after all these years, I'm like I can show the person that means the most to me. I can finally show yeah. them early, which is saying something. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Well, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about actors because again, key in most of your work is relationships, and I want to know how you, f- you f- find that Andrew and Paul's characters tom and 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 charlotte andrew and jamie and claire in this their their relationships are all key how do you find that is it rehearsals is it putting people together is it interaction what's your your method yeah it's like i really i've I've been thinking a lot about it recently you know i've I've been talking about it and about casting and i do feel like your job as a director is to be like you're running a dating agency Mm. And you have to try and work out whether these people make sense together and whether they will like each other, or if they're not supposed to like each other, whether they won't like each other, or they'll find something a bit something challenging within that relationship, perhaps. But it's about working that out. So when I'm casting, obviously I want to go for good actors. That makes complete sense. Obviously, I don't want to go for someone that can't act. I'm going mm. for people that are I know are good. But that's quite easy to tell. Yeah. Because you just have to watch some of their films. Like, well, they're good actors. Yeah. Fine. So then it's like, okay, I'm going to watch the interviews that they've done. I'm going to watch them on, like, red carpets. Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch them in all different environments and try and understand who they might be yeah. as people. And I also think, that it's about, okay, what projects have they chosen in their life? Like for me, for example, with 45 years, the fact that Charlotte had chosen the projects in her past that she'd chosen or the projects that Tom Cawley had chosen or the films he made when he was young, I'm like, okay, I feel like I understand the person you are. Yeah. Because your films and your choices define you as a person. Because obviously our choices define who we are. Yeah. So then it sort of makes sense. They make sense together. And it was the same with this. It's like, I just looked at everybody about what they'd done before. You know, the fact that Jamie Bell had made, has made really interesting choices yeah, in his true. career. You know, since Billy Elliot until now, he's always taken, you know, he doesn't do the obvious route. Sometimes he does big things. He sometimes does small things. He makes, works with interesting directors. And so you're like, I bet you he is a nice person. Yeah. And I've heard, and he is a nice, really incredibly decent guy who's also a really good actor. So you try and work this out and I'm like, well, that's what I want the dad to be. I want the dad to be that kind of person and I want the mum to be this kind of person and then you hope when you put them together that you've made the right decisions. Mm. And so far, I feel like I have made the right decisions and before I ever, I don't like to just offer somebody a role I don't think I actually do just offer someone a role. I want to sit with them and talk to them yeah, and understand why do you want to do the film? Like, what is it for you that you want to do? Why? And that's when you sort of know whether they're right for the role because they understand it in a way that means they really care about the material and they get the material and they understand the material. And then usually because I slowly build my cast up, like when Claire, when I met Claire, she knew that Andrew was going to play Adam. Mm -hmm. So she's like, I want to be his mum. I want to work with Andrew. I'm desperate to work with Andrew. And this is the reasons why I want to work with Andrew. Mm. And then you're like, well, of course they're going to work together because they want to be in a film together. Paul was the same. Um, And Andrew was so excited that it got to be, that Paul was going to play Harry, that I'm like, well, there you go. You know, and I remember speaking to Charlotte saying, I'm thinking of offering it or wanting to meet Tom Courtney on it. And she was like, thought about it and was like, yeah, he's perfect. Yeah. And like, that's what you want to do. It's like getting the right people together. I love that. And it, 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 it somehow comes across on the screen, that warmth and that excitement all to be 
in the room together, particularly in All of Us Strangers. Every time Harry was on screen, I was grinning, and you'd look and you'd see that Andrew is grinning as well. And it's that yeah. there's that warmth. It's 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 affecting everyone. We're feeling yeah. the same as as is being felt yeah. on the screen. I, guess. I think warmth is a really nice way to put it because I think that's what I'm always trying. The tone of even just working mm. that I'm trying to create. And sometimes it can be exhausting trying to be warm and friendly the whole time. Yeah. But you need that. Yeah. I feel like if you don't have that environment on set, like things don't work mm-hmm. and people don't feel comfortable and they don't feel safe. Or the, and then they just zoom off to their their trailers or whatever it is, their changing rooms, and, they, and that's the end of the story. But you don't want that. You want people to want to be on set. You want the crew to want to be on set. You want the actors to be excited when they step on the set, not like, oh, God. It's taking too long or all this kind of thing. So, so much of my energy almost on set is about creating the right environment. Mm. And then this sort of acting of it all often takes care of itself. Yeah. It's like it's what you do before and after that is the most important thing. And it's about realising sometimes I say nothing to the actors. They don't need it. And it, sometimes they need help or they need to be guided or they need to have to talk. Some actors want to talk and talk and talk about something. Some actors don't need to talk about anything. And it's just, I feel like my job is to essentially be a therapist and work out who needs what at what time and when do I step in and when do I step away. Yeah. It's interesting what comes across on screen as as well, I think, of the kind of, of set it is. And again, things can be masked and covered up, but what came to mind as you were talking about, you want the actors to feel comfortable on the set, to feel happy. There's a glance up, and again, it's, during a sex scene or at the end of a, se- a sex scene, there's a glance up that Paul gives that is so tender mm. and, and comfortable. And that reflects all of that, I mm. think. It's not because, again, the sex scenes are probably often the most nervous bits to come on set and do. Mm. So, and as you say, the way things, particularly gay sex scenes, have been presented at times, mm. it's very much here's the sex scene. Mm. Whereas there's this f- felt as odd as it sounds, it felt like just another scene and mm. it was just teaching you more of how comfortable these two people are instantly with each other from the first time yeah. even when he first turns up at the door and there's a little bit of of trepidation there's still a kind of relaxness and a warmth and a comfort yeah. but it's lo- more it's logic taking over and going no no you can't come in this is yeah. i don't know you so yeah i guess all that comes across i love that you talk about that eye look because yeah. that to me is the be- it's the moment of that scene yeah, it's the 100%. moment of that scene because it's so open yeah. and tender and generous. And it's, you know, he's looking at him in that moment to say, I don't want to be anywhere else but here right now yeah. with you. Yeah. And I'm looking in your eyes so you know that and we can feel comfortable about this, about what, what about what's happening here. Yeah. And that it's always those moments. And, you know, that that's in the script that he looks up in that moment. And I feel like it's almost like a surprising moment somehow Mm. because you feel like all sex scenes should have a moment of connection when two people are looking at each other, but they often don't. You end up feeling it's all about the physicality and not about the emotion behind whatever that sex scene is is about. Yeah. Sex scenes are one of the only scenes that have their own like genre. It's true. Everything it's else true. is just scenes, but now it's the sex the scene. The sex scene. Everything else was a fight scene, a sex scene, and then everything else is just scenes. It's so true. And also everybody <laughs> always wants to know, like, what was it like for the actors? 
no one's like no one ever asks what were the characters thinking in that section yeah. it's always or, when it comes to sex scenes it's like how were the actors and you're like no one asks them that normally mate, about any other scene it's one of the things that made me so happy watching the Q&A of Paul and Andrew because as someone who owned like I didn't get to go to drama school or anything so I've moved into acting and I adore it but there was a point where someone was asking how do you get emotional what do you draw from that's a very actory thing I draw from this and that and Andrew kind of said well no the character's sad, so I'm sad. And that's yeah. how I've always been. I've always felt if the, the writing's mm. good and you can find the character, I don't mm. need to draw from mm. some heartbreak of my own. That character's heartbroken in that moment. So I think that's exactly it. Those two, it's not how did the actors feel, how did how did they feel? How did Harry and Adam feel in the Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? Because acting is about empathy, really. It's about yeah. you understanding another person yeah. and then trying to portray that to the to the world. Yeah. And that is always what it what it's about. And I feel like that's why people are confused on a film set. You can have a really emotional scene and then you cut and then they're like, all right, okay, what's Let's next? Yeah. Or you then go out and have a good night and yeah. whatever, everything's fine. But it is. They are they are understanding. A good actor understands what the character is feeling, and then can can express that. Like, that is what good acting writing is. And I think for Andrew, it's interesting, because it, it is a personal thing for him too. I know it is. Yeah. But it's also his skill as an actor that is being able to portray all of the things that he's portraying in the film, not just because it's similar to his own self. Yeah. You know, that doesn't mean anything. I, I If you put me in front of the camera... It would be a disaster, however close that character might be to me, but yeah. because I can't act. Yeah. Or, or how personal are the stories that you t- choose to tell then? Because this one does feel quite personal. So I guess how personal is it? And then how is it when you, you get to hand it over? And it's not personal anymore all of a sudden, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a really weird one. Look, my parents are still alive. Mm-hmm. So my parents haven't died. So that key element is clearly not autobiographical. Yeah. But there is so much of it that is yeah. that is about me and the things that he talks about and lots of that is personal, you know. And, you know, that's my childhood home that we shot in. There's all of these things yes, that were, that were personal. The fact that you shot in your childhood home, that's... Yeah. Amazing. And it it was a weird thing and, you know, I feel like I'm always banging on about it now. And it's not even, like, it didn't feel as big when I was decided to do that as what it may feel like it is now. (laughs) I just felt like it was a way for me to access the material in a way that feels like it could be grounded. And I could have this story based in some reality, even though it feels like it's not. You know, it's not a realistic story, obviously. But it's funny because you end up, you know, in the film you express something personal and then when you have to talk about the film, people are keen on the specifics Mm. of what is personal. And then suddenly you end up starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable about things that you end up talking about, relationships with your parents, you know, all the kind of things that then I can sometimes find myself talking about. Often in Q&As, when you sort of, Q&As after a film can feel quite relaxed because you like, oh, there's just some people in a room and you talk about it. And then, of course, you realise down the line that it's being filmed yeah. and it's on YouTube. Yeah. And you're like, oh. And that's the one bit they're going to use, the bit that now and feels uncomfortable. <laughs> and now I'm be that's out there. And it starts to make me feel uncomfortable mm. down the line. You feel yeah. like, just a little bit gross mm. sometimes because, you know, I'm a pretty private person and I live my life like I live as I live my life. And then suddenly you can feel like, oh, I, I, I'm putting my life out there and I'm just trying to make a film and the film is the thing, not me. Yeah. Uh, and so you can start to feel a little bit uncomfortable by it. It's so interesting hearing you say that though because you said earlier about how when you're 
selecting your actors, you kind of know them through their mm. their catalogue. When I was doing the research for this, there's not a lot on your Wikipedia page. No. Like, there's not a lot of information, yeah. but I felt I know you through your films. So mm. as it was one of them where normally you'd go to that and start thinking, oh, yeah. a bit of a panic. I'm like, well, no, there's this I want to talk about and this... And that. I think so, that's that's what's so lovely. You kind of just wish it could just be the films. Yeah. It, it can't be. We all understand why it can't be. I think of the late, um, t- now, Terence Davies. Mm-hmm. I feel like you know him through his films. Even when it's a film about Emily Dickinson, mm. you feel like you understand the director. Yeah. And I, I think I met I met him once actually at a party for like two seconds. Yeah. But And I've, I don't think I've really read that many of his interviews, whatever, but I love so many of his films. And you feel like you understand that person through the films. And it's the same when you see a piece of art or listen to music or whatever it might be. You understand the person through the music or the whatever the work is. And I sort of love that. That's the sort of strange connection that you can have with films and music and, and art. Yeah. But the weird thing about the world is now you also then have to talk about it. And something like this conversation is nice yeah. because it's like an actual conversation. It's a proper conversation where you're discussing things. When you're doing a five-minute soundbite on a red carpet, you're like, yeah. oh, God. And they're like, oh, so you shot in your house. What was that like? Yeah. And you're like, oh, I what? I've got time to explain. I don't want to talk about that it's, now. It's why Esther and the guys are, are so good to me on these junkets now. have given me a decent amount of time. Yeah. It's like, it's a break. I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've been on the other side of this on, on, on tours with albums and stuff, and it's yeah. the same answers over and over again, whereas... We get to have an actual ch- ch- chat now. Um, yeah. Before we wrap things up, what's the difference then as a director between shooting in your childhood home? Because I think you've done the extremes in your childhood home to shoot in uh, the North Wall. So uh, Stephen Graham and I have been lu- I've been lucky enough to work with him three times. So we've become quite close. He was sending me pictures and videos at the time, <laughs> and you guys were not in a comfortable situation at all. You're out in the ice. You're, you're living the film or, or the TV show, essentially. How do those things differ from your literal childhood home to literally out in the ice on a ship? They basically feel about the same. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's the weird thing. It's like I like putting myself and mm. actually everybody else mm-hmm. into a slightly uncomfortable, strange place. Yeah. And so being up in... Look, look, that TV show would have been so much easier to have shot in a studio. Yeah. Everyone was like, we can shoot in a studio. There's visual effects. I'm like, no, I want to get on a ship and I want us to be on it for a month out at sea in the, you know, the Arctic Sea. Let's do that. And actors are going to be drawn to they that. That's going to be it. a buzz. I, yeah. I know if I got a, like, this a is script through, it's like, he's, we're actually, yeah. Yeah. And of course they, you know, <laughs> loved being up there yeah. and it felt like it fed into our experience of the project. Mm. And it was an amazing experience being up there. Amazing. And then shooting in my house felt like the exact opposite, but almost exactly the same at the same time. So I'm going from this massive environment, which was daunting and terrifying and filled with existential dread, and then going into the deepest recess of my memory, which is terrifying and full of the deepest existential dread. It's just in a house, not floating on a piece of ice in the Arctic Sea. So I sort of loved (laughs) the way that they felt the same. And the place I don't like is on a film set in a studio. And we did some for this. The apartment is a studio Mm -hmm. and it was fine. But I don't like that. I don't want to, I don't like that environment. It's too easy. I'm I'm behind a monitor sitting at a chair and I'm comfortable. And there's an element of wanting to feel uncomfortable because if you do feel uncomfortable, you have to work through it. 
Yeah. And I feel like that's what it's about. It's about like, there's a quote by Carl Jung that I read actually only relatively recently, and I'll butcher it, but it's <laughs> something to do with real liberation comes from not glossing over the pain, but like diving into it and looking deeply at mm. it. That's not the quote, but really that's sort of what it's saying. And I feel like you have to throw yourself in sometimes. Yeah. And I like to throw myself in sometimes. So I feel uncomfortable mm. because that can be where something interesting is discovered uh, and can be the thing that that makes the project interesting. It's, it's what's always fascinated and excited me in any creation of art. And I put it down to the fact that when we're happy or when things are positive, we try and spend as much time in that place as possible. When we're uncomfortable, we get out of it as quickly as possible. So when you're then in a safe space to to look back at that and study that and deconstruct that, and then if you need to, put yourself back in those uncomfortable positions, yeah. is where the interesting stuff comes out, right? Yeah. It's where you make your life yeah. fascinating. And especially if you've always felt a little bit like of an outsider in the world which you can feel an outsider for lots of reasons Mm -hmm. and don't feel like you fit into the world you know you can sometimes just try and ignore your feeling of isolation your feeling of being an outsider but for me I want to like delve back into that sometimes I want to try and understand it work it out and sometimes you need to like force things and make things complicated in order to to get to that space what kind of films do you enjoy like recent or or classically it's a thing that I don't feel I ask enough in these conversations, and it's key to all of us. It is key this. to all of us. And I really think it's about the mood that I'm in. Mm-hmm. I really do think there are lots of times when the last thing I want to watch in the world is like a Bergman film, mm-hmm. right? There are other times when that is precisely the film I need to watch. I need to watch Cries and Whispers right now because I need to watch it. And then there'll be another time when I'm like, you know what? I need to watch Christmas Vacation. Yeah. And that is the film I need now. And so it's always very strange when you sort of talk about your favourite films or films that mean things to you. Because sometimes, like, a rubbish film is the film that you need to watch in that moment. Like, at Christmas, I will definitely watch crap on television. And I'll watch weird TV shows on Channel 5 about, like, supermarkets in the 80s. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever the yeah. hell it is. I do. And, and, and then other My times... My eyes lit up then. You could see, yeah, I know exactly, exactly. what you mean. That's, that's, and that's this what time you year. need. And then other times <laughs> you're like, you know what? I need to go and watch 120 Days of Sodom, whatever yeah. that is called, yeah, 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 yeah. which I think is playing the BFI after Christmas. I'm like, do you know yeah. what? I think I'm going to watch crap TV and then I'm going to go and watch that in the cinema. Yeah, I love it. Well, I, I usually end the podcast by asking what's ahead because it feels like a natural point to end but i need to give full disclosure that in this instance it is to try and get a head start in case it's anything i can be involved in mm. so, so so what is ahead what's the next plan because this has obviously been a long time coming and then that fear over strikes and how it will come out are you already thinking about what's next or i'm definitely i'm always the more it's funny because the more stuff you make the more stuff you have in the future lined up like yeah. in the early days i was like well maybe one other project might happen now there's like well, actually, three things could happen. Mm-hmm. And the strikes has made a mess of everything because schedule is all over the place yeah. and, like, availability has changed. I've basically got three projects all sort of at a similar level, scripts written, could go, trying to get the financing. Financing is sort of there, but, like, we're not sure on dates. Yeah. And so I'm not really sure what the next one will be. I know that it will be one of the, these three projects. Yeah. Yeah. I can't really talk about what those exact of projects course. are. But I really want to make something uh, basically the end of next year. So mm-hmm. fall or autumn 20, 
24. Four, 24. 2024, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to make something then. But it could be that it's a little bit earlier than then. But also when you made a film that sort of like has had a conversation with an audience, let's say, and people are talking about it, the next thing you do, I'm like, okay, so that's always now going to be in relationship to this. Mm. People are going to say, oh, it's not like this, or it's too much like this, or I wish it was more like that, or why is it so different, or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're always trying to think about, like, what makes sense. So 45 Years, for example, was not a film that people sort of wanted me to make after Weekend. Right. They were like, oh, she do another thing about gay people. And I was like, no, I want to do this. This makes sense. And I had to fight a little bit in order for that to be the next film. Right. So it's always a really tricky one to work out what is next. So that's a roundabout way of saying, I don't really know. <laughs> but, but I'll let you options. know when I know what's happening. But there's options. There's and options. That's exciting. There's do you find, options. again, I am wrapping up, I promise. Do, do you find having multiple projects a good way to get anything completed, if you know what I mean? Because yeah. if you get stuck somewhere, you've got somewhere else to go and be be productive. Or Yeah, I think it is that there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a level, isn't there, that you can get to when you feel like this is helpful for me. Mm-hmm. But also because I write my own projects yeah there's also a bunch of other projects that i'm trying to write that could come after that yeah and like there's a book i want to adapt and it's like but okay I've, but there's only so much time in the day <laughs> yeah. and sometimes people sort of forget that yeah. so they're like you attach this tv show and i'm like okay that's great i'm attached to doing that but i don't know how on earth i could actually do it yeah because i've got to do this and this and this and this and this and also you've got to be really aware of not always working like you've got to be like why am I doing this again? I'm yeah. not just doing this to keep making things. I don't want to just make things for the sake of it. It's like, why am I doing this? What's the reason? And like, I can also have a bit of a life sometimes. Like, I've not mm-hmm. had a like an actual holiday. I mean, I don't want anyone to resolve for me because they shouldn't resolve for me. But like, I haven't had a proper holiday for years and years and years. And it's like, maybe I just need to have a bit of a holiday. Yeah. And just like relax for a little bit and try and work it out what it is that I'm wanting to do and yeah. say and what is the right thing to do next it's important to take time off and find that space says writer director editor <laughs> <laughs> control freak that like, can't sit still for two seconds and wants to keep working exactly. exactly it's important to take time off. well i appreciate you taking the time today it's been a, an absolute joy real pleasure thank you so much You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. You probably didn't enjoy it as much as I did, but I hope you enjoyed it to a near level to the amount that I did. Go and see all of us strangers. It's so good. So good. And watch it in the cinema and don't read anything about it beforehand. We carefully avoided spoilers, I think in this conversation so um yeah and if you've not seen 45 years get it watched it's really the epitome of the um telling stories without dialogue in or telling crucial parts of the story but without dialogue it's it's fantastic um yeah so i will see you all next week when i've got another wonderful guest i've got one of my favorite comedians on next week and the week after i've got an amazing inspirational dude a stunt man yeah there's some great episodes to come so start getting excited 
I'll see you next week. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.